heart and soul of a nation, beckons the call. The voice of our forefathers heard in the distance. A house divided against itself cannot stand. To reclaim our honor. honor. Our soul. The challenges of a generation call out. Future generations hang in the balance. We choose liberty. This is the voice of a nation. The nation. The nation. The nation. And now, Malcolm. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Malcolm at 8, The Voice of a Nation. I'm Wallace Garneau of The Voice of a Nation production team. And boy, do we have a show for you today. I want to talk about Israel. I want to talk about Hamas. I want to talk about Hezbollah. I want to talk about the region of Palestine. I want to talk about why, of course, that still matters. And some of the things, uh, some of the news stories that have come out just recently about it and, and why we should be concerned about those things. But I want to go beyond Israel because there are a tremendous number of things going on and our news stories are so hyper-focused on Israel that we're ignoring a lot of other things. You know, they say sometimes if you want to distract the public from what's really going on, you have to, you have a magic trick that you show them and then while they're watching the right hand, they can't see what the left hand is doing. And this is an election year. So yeah, Israel is important. I want to talk about that. I definitely want to give you my take on Israel and why it matters. Uh, but more than that, I want to talk about some of the other things going on around the world in our, in our country and why in election year, uh, we can't just focus on what the media is telling us, what the mainstream media, I should say, is telling us. We have to take a holistic view and look at other things as well. But first, let's look at Israel. Now, I want to talk about the word Palestinian right out of the gate because a Palestinian is not a Muslim living in Palestine. There's actually never been a nation called Palestine. We can go all the way back into recorded history and look at everything that has happened in the region known as Palestine. We can look at who was controlled at different times and, and what, what religion they had or what they called it or whatever. We'll never find a nation called Palestine. The word Palestine is actually a Roman word. When the Romans took over Israel, they wanted to give it a name other than Israel to imply to, I guess, to Rome as well as to the Jewish people that Israel was no longer Jewish. It was now owned by the Romans and the Jewish people living there, along with anybody else who may be living in Palestine. They, at that point, were Roman subjects. So the word Palestine is not the name of a country because there's never been a Palestinian nation or a nation, I should say, called Palestine. It's a region. And it's the name of a region not given by the people who lived there, but by given by the Romans when they conquered that region. Now, the only nation that has ever existed within Palestine, well, there are a number of nations that have existed within Palestine. Of course, the, the first nation we might look at would be the Philistines, uh, who controlled right up along the, most of the coast. And then, of course, the nation of Israel, which was founded by, not Moses, Moses died across the river from it, but founded by the followers of Moses, Abraham, and the rest of the Jewish people, who after 40 years wandering in the desert. So they founded the nation of Israel, and yeah, Old Testament stuff, you know, they killed off the people who were living there, and built the nation of Israel, and uh, then battled the other people in that area, and uh, what happened is Israel eventually split into three pieces. Uh, part of that split, I believe, was before the Babylonian exile, part of the split was after the Babylonian exile, but at the time the Romans called it Palestine, there were actually three Jewish nations in that area, and those three Jewish nations essentially made up that area. Those three Jewish nations were Samaria, Galilee, and uh, Judea. 
and Judea, incidentally, that's where where uh, where King Herod ruled. Uh, the Sanhedrin ruled in some area. Galilee was, was controlled, but they were all controlled by the Romans. But I think Galilee was controlled somewhat directly by the Romans, whereas the Romans allowed King Herod in Judea and and allowed the Sanhedrin in Samaria to kind of control those areas. But it was all Palestine, and for the most part, it was all Jewish. So when the Romans exiled the, the Jewish people out of Israel, it didn't become Palestine. It was never a nation called Palestine, and they didn't create a nation called Palestine. Uh, Jewish people continued to live there. Now, it wasn't just Jewish people. When Islam came up, there were a lot of Islamic people that were living there as well, and and Islamic people and Jewish people since that time. No, they've always there have always been both in that area, and there have always been Christians in that area as well. So it's always been an area of all three religions, and of course, it is a central part of all three of those religions as well. But there was never a nation called Palestine. It was controlled by the Ottoman Turks. It's been controlled by Alexander the Great. It's been controlled by the Persians. It's been controlled by many, many people. But it was never... The, 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 the nations in Palestine today, there are actually three nations right now today in the region that the Romans called Palestine. One of them is Jordan. One of them is Lebanon. And the other one, of course, is Israel, modern-day Israel. So when people say that the Palestinian people need a home, now the first thing I want to point out is that the Jewish people living in Israel are also Palestinian. Now you can make an argument that during the Roman exile, the Palestinian Jewish people spent so much time in Europe uh, intermarrying with Europeans that they also became largely European. But there's no way to question the fact that the Israeli people originally came from the region the Romans called Palestine. Now, people say, well, they came out of Egypt to go there. Well, yeah, but where did they come from before they went to Egypt? Where was Abraham, the original Abraham? Well, Abraham was in, in Palestine, in what the Romans later called Palestine. So even to the degree that the Israeli people came out of Egypt to create the nation of Israel, if you go back further, they came out of the region the Romans called Palestine. There's no question, then, that the Israeli people, the Jewish people in Palestine today, are Palestinian as are the Jewish people around the world, the vast majority of Jewish people. And I say vast majority because Judaism is a religion, not an ethnicity. Now, it's a little bit of both because uh, the Jewish people do originate from a specific area, and, uh, and, and, and most Jewish people are ethnically Jewish as well. But, of course, it's a religion, so you don't have to be born Jewish. You can, you can actually adopt that religion. I, I, I don't know exactly how to do it, but you, you can become Jewish if you're not born a Jewish person. So it's a religion, but it also is largely an ethnicity. But it's the same ethnicity, if you go back far enough, as, as the people that call themselves Palestinians today. So I think it's important to note when we talk about the Palestinians that we recognize that there are really three groups of Palestinians. You have the Islamic Palestinians who have two countries in Palestine, one called Jordan and one called Lebanon. You have the Christian Palestinians who live almost entirely at this point in Israel. And then, of course, you have the Jewish Palestinians who also live almost entirely in Israel. Now, that's not always been the case. Lebanon, when I was a kid, was actually a free country. They had freedom of religion, Christian people, Jewish people, Islamic people. 
They all got along reasonably well. They lived side by side, kind of like when I was growing up in the United States. It was one of the few countries on earth where on a Saturday or a Sunday, you might have a backyard barbecue watching a football game, or you would have Christians, Jewish people, and Islamic people all getting along, nobody worrying about, about religion because they were worried about what the football score was. Uh, that's not true, though, in much of the world today, and it's certainly not true anymore in Lebanon. Uh, in Lebanon, in 1983, I wasn't in the Marine Corps in 1983. I was only, I guess I would have been 12 years old at the time. Later, I joined the Marine Corps, and certainly this was drilled into me. There was a Marine Corps barracks in Lebanon tied to our embassy that was bombed by Hezbollah. killed 241 Marines. 241 United States Marines died in Lebanon as a part of the Lebanese Civil War when Hezbollah decided to take it over. So what did Hezbollah do to the free country of Lebanon, where Christians, Jewish people, and Islamic people lived side by side and, and had backyard barbecues? Well, they killed the Jewish people and the Christians. Those who didn't flee, who were not, who, who did not become, you know, did not move to Israel or somewhere else, they killed them. They exterminated the Christians and the Jewish people. So you had one group of Palestinians who were Islamic, specifically Hezbollah. I don't want to blame all Islamic people for the actions of one organization. Uh, but Hezbollah came in, and, and the, the, the Lebanese welcomed them in with open arms. And Hezbollah came in then and exterminated everybody who was not Islamic. So, you know, when we talk about this, we're not just talking about Palestinians versus Jewish people. We're talking about Palestinian Jewish people, Palestinian Islamic people, and Palestinian Christian people. Now, the Christians are not asking for their own nation. But the Jewish people in Palestine, obviously Israel is a Jewish nation, and you know, do the Jewish people in Palestine, do the Jewish Palestinians not have a right to a nation of their own? The Islamic Palestinians have two, Jordan and Lebanon, and they exterminated the Jewish people in one of those. So do the Jewish people in Lebanon, not have, excuse me, in, in Palestine, not have a right to a nation of their own? And by a nation of their own, I mean some place that they can live, that they can defend the borders, and they can avoid being exterminated by the Islamic factions in the, in the Middle East that want to kill them. Iran, the Ayatollah of Iran is on record as saying that he will use nuclear weapons as soon as they have them to exterminate the Jewish people. He's on record saying that the only good thing about Israel is that it brings a bunch of Jewish people together and makes them easier to exterminate. There's no question Iran wants to exterminate not only the Jewish people in Palestine, but the Jewish people all over the world. So Israel, the United States, we actually, I believe, are the largest Islamic population, or Jewish population, rather, on earth. We have a large Islamic population as well, not one of the largest, but just by nature of being such a, a big country. You know, we have a lot of people from every religion in the United States today. So, uh, But they want to exterminate the Jewish people. They want to do that in Israel. But if you read Hamas's charter, if you listen to the language of the Ayatollah in Iran, if you listen to the things Hezbollah says, they don't just want to exterminate Jews in Israel. They want to exterminate the Jewish people everywhere on the face of the earth, which is why when people try to say that they are not anti-Semitic, even though they don't back Israel in this fight, well, how can you possibly say that? Of course that's anti-Semitic. The purpose of Israel is to allow the Jewish people to have a nation of their own where they can live without being exterminated. Backing Hamas is backing extermination. There is no way around that. Hamas's charter is to exterminate the Jews in Israel and everywhere else on earth. There is no way around that. 
Hamas actually made a video. Everybody talks about chopping off the heads of babies. They actually made a video where they took a live baby, put him in an oven, and baked it. I mean, it's this is sick. Now, people say his Hamas soldiers. There's not a, there's no such thing as a Hamas soldier. I was a soldier. I served in the Marine Corps. I served in the Army. I served honorably. I never baked a baby. That's not honor. That's that's not being a soldier. Soldiers are professional. I understand that a professional soldier sometimes has to kill people. The purpose of a military is to kill people and break things. I get that. But you don't try to kill civilians. Civilians may get killed in the crossfire. It happens, particularly with groups like Hamas that use civilians as shields. You can't get to Hamas without killing civilians because Hamas won't let you. They put the babies right out front and say, if you want to hit me, you got to hit this too. Well, so you know, that's not professionalism. That's not a soldier. A soldier protects civilians and tries to kill only enemy combatants to the degree that that is possible. Hamas, they're not soldiers. They're animals. And they should be treated like animals. I hope that Israel, you can put me on record for saying this, I hope that Israel kills every goddamn member of Hamas and Hezbollah. And I'm sure somebody needs to take out the Ayatollah. The Iranian people deserve a whole lot better than what they're getting. We used to be friends with Iran. When I was a kid, I had next-door neighbors that fled from Iran when the Ayatollah took power. The Iranian people are, they, this used to be a Western country. They used to have, now they, they were Islamic, of course, but I mean, you had women in, who could wear bikinis in public. It was, it was not like it is today. It was, it was a free country of, of, of free people. And, you know, we need to get back to that. The Iranian people deserve better. Israel deserves better. The world deserves better. And what scares me, what really pisses me off about this is being a Marine, I remember Lebanon in 1983. I remember the 241 Marines getting killed by Hezbollah. It's only been 40 years. And somehow, not only have we forgotten, but large numbers of American people, the media, college campuses, people are championing Hamas. How the hell can you champion people that put babies in ovens? It's, it's, it's sickening. It's absolutely sickening to me. But I kind of get it. Because the, the, the political left, the, the I don't want to say all atheists, because all atheists don't think this way, but it certainly comes out of atheist thought. There's this belief that all religions are the same. No, you believe in your version of the sky god, you believe in your version of the sky god, okay, you believe in different versions of the sky god. But they're all sky gods, it's all bullshit, there is no god, and, and so all religions are the same. They're all bullshit, believing in bullshit, they're all based on bullshit. You know, that's kind of the atheist view, is that religion is bullshit. Now, I'm a Christian, I don't believe religion is bullshit. I fully believe in God, I, I feel God's presence in my life every day. I try to follow it, very hard to do. A lot of atheists get angry at a lot of Christians and say, it's not a real religion. You guys were all hypocrites. None of you are good Christians. Well, the only truly good Christian was Christ, and that's kind of the point. We need Christ's salvation because we're not capable of being Christ. We are imperfect, but we try, and that's that's what it is to be Christian. And I think that's what it is to be members of other religions as well. You try to follow those tenets. But to say that all religions are the same, even if we could agree that all religions are false... And again, I'm a Christian. I don't agree that all religions are false. I totally believe in the Christian God. But even if we did agree that all religions are false, that would not mean that all religions are the same. I mean, think about the central tenet of Christianity. And we can get into the Old Testament. You know, God sometimes was uh, was, was a little bit violent. We get into that, but that's, that's not really relevant because... Uh, 
Deuteronomy, those aren't the laws of, of Christians. Those are the laws of Moses. They, they don't, Jewish people don't really follow that today either. Uh, but Christians have never been called upon to follow the, the laws of Moses. No, we only have two tenets. There are two core tenets of Christianity. One is to love God above all things, and the other is to love your neighbor, or we would say your fellow human beings, as much as you love yourself. So Christians are called upon to love God above everything and to love everyone as much as they love themselves. Those are the only central tenets of Christianity. If you follow Christ, there are other parts of Christianity. But the, the, the only two rules that Christ made as a part of his covenant are, that's it. People call it the golden rule. A love, love God above all things and love your fellow human beings as much as you love yourself. That's it. Now, what are the other tenets of Islam? Well, I've, I've read the Quran. I actually have an English copy of the Quran in my library. Uh, I've also read the Book of Mormon for what that's worth. But the point is, I've read the Quran, and I can tell you that the Quran... It's an interesting book because it was written in roughly chronological order. Uh, Muhammad didn't actually write it. Muhammad spoke, and other people transcribed what he wrote. And I'm sure there was some form of editing going on. And then they compiled it into the Quran. And it's in, in roughly chronological order, if not in purely chronological order, which is to say that it follows Muhammad's career. Now, early on in Muhammad's career, Muhammad was teaching, or he was converting people who were Christians and Jews. That part of the world at the time was Christian and Jewish. So he had no choice but to recruit Christians and Jews into his religion. And so early on, it's it's very much about there are brothers and peace be unto you and all these, you know, nice things. And it would have been nice if Islam had stayed that way. But at some point he got thrown out of Mecca and he went to, I believe it was called Messina. And uh, he, he converted that, that city-state and then he created an army there and he came back and he took Mecca by force. And at that point, Muhammad stopped being a peaceful person that was calling for peace and brotherhood and became a warlord. And for the rest of Muhammad's career, he was a warlord. Now, at some point in his career, he must have began saying things that people noticed were different than what he was saying before. Because instead of saying the Jewish people are our brothers, now he was saying, kill all the Jews. And somebody must have said something to him because Muhammad gave the command in the Quran he said, uh, if I ever say something that conflicts with something I said earlier, whatever I said last is what counts. So you can ignore that stuff early in the Quran where it was all peace and love, and now we just want to kill people. And, you know, like I said, over a hundred times it calls on the killing of all infidels. Now, if you are an infidel, in other words, not a Muslim person yourself, uh, it actually also wants to convert you. So if it's if you, you, you kill them, if it's not convenient to convert them, but if you have the opportunity to try to convert them, you can give them the opportunity to convert, and then you don't have to kill them. Uh, the, 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 the interesting thing there, though, is the reason why they would prefer to convert non-Islamic people to Islam. And the reason is that Muhammad said that those who were not taught Islam were not taught the truth. And thus, they have the opportunity of being taught the truth and accepting it. But then he went on to say, if you are taught the truth, in other words, if you're Muslim and you do not follow the truth correctly, you reject the truth, either in whole or in part. So you want to give up Islam as a religion or you want to, to follow Islam, but not what Muhammad said was the right way. Well, you were taught the truth and you rejected it. And the only punishment for that, the only solution to that according to Muhammad, was death. So 
the primary people that Islam wants to kill are not Christians and Jews. It's Islamic people that are not practicing Islam correctly. And then when Muhammad died, there was a question as to who should be his successor. One group of people wanted to elect a successor. The other group of people wanted one of Muhammad's family members to be the successor. And these two groups of people became the Sunni and Shiite Muslims. And uh, they both believe the other is not following Islam correctly. And because of that, Islam's become a bit of a death cult where there is no way to determine who is following it correctly. And everybody who is a core believer of Islam, who truly wants to be the best Muslim they can be, is driven to kill not only Jews and Christians, but other Islamic people as well. It's a very, very dangerous religion. And you know, what I want people to understand is if you take Christianity and follow it to its logical extreme, in other words, you say, I want to be as good of a Christian as I can be. I want to follow Christ as closely as I can. And you follow the teachings of Christ. I would defy any atheist to try to debate me on this. It will only make you a better person. You cannot follow the teachings of Christ and not be a good person. Now let's look at Islam. If you follow the teachings of Muhammad, understanding the chronological order and understanding that what he said last is the most important according to his teachings, and you try to be as good of an Islamic person as you possibly can be, you try to make him your model and to live like him, well, one, you're going to be a warlord. Two, you're going to believe all kinds of horrendous things about women. Women were considered to be not just inferior to men, but worth one-third of a man. So, for example, a woman's testimony is worth one-third of that of a man. Three women would have to testify for it to have the weight of one man testifying. They were considered to be one-third as intelligent as men, one-third as valuable as men. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, in Iran, it is illegal to kill a pet, but it is not illegal to kill a wife or a daughter. The only time it's illegal to kill your daughter is after she marries, at which point she becomes the property of her husband and the father can no longer kill her. If a woman in Islam is raped, it is always her fault 110%. And the only the, the, the biggest problem with having been raped in Islam is that it puts dishonor on the family that can only be cleansed through an honor killing. An honor killing, not of killing the rapist, but of killing the victim. So this is Islam. Christianity, you know, all, let's, let's throw everything out the table. Christianity does say homosexuality is a sin. No way around that. It says it in the Old Testament. It says it in the New Testament. Paul absolutely told all of the different churches with regard to homosexual behavior. Absolutely said, guys, don't do that. But he didn't say, if you do, I'm going to kill you. He just said, you shouldn't do that, don't do that. In Islam, the penalty for being a homosexual is to have a building pulled down on top of you to crush you. And if they can't find a building suitable to pull down on people and crush them, then the, the solution is to take the gay people to the tallest building and throw them off. So Islam is penalties for homosexuality. But interestingly, Muhammad did not consider it homosexuality if you were having sex with prepubescent boys. Muhammad had a thing for prepubescent boys. In Christianity, we would call that pedophilium or pedophilia. But in Islam, Muhammad said that women are for having babies. Prepubescent boys are for pleasure. So, you know, I would call that kind of sick. Uh, if you're an Islamic person listening to this, you might disagree with me on that. Well, I would I would say maybe you should rethink your thoughts there because pedophilia in the United States is illegal. So, you know, let's call it what it is. 
All religions are not the same. There are the court, and I'm not saying everybody who is Islamic is an evil person. I think there are a lot of people that look at Islam uh, not as strictly as, 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 as other Islamic people would tell them they should. I think there are people that look at, at, at jihad as a personal struggle and that look at Sharia as a personal code of, of, of ethics. And if that's how you view it, and, and, and you know, that's fine. I, you can be my neighbor. I don't have any problem with people that follow Islam as a personal religion that they struggle to follow themselves. It's only when you try to take that religion and force it in other people that it becomes a problem. But this is what Hamas wants to do. Hamas wants to force Islam down the throat of everybody living in well, according to their charter again, any lands that have ever been captured by Islam. Now, that includes, obviously, Israel. What a lot of people don't know is it also includes Spain. It includes about a third of France. It includes much of Eastern Europe going all the way to the gates of Vienna. Now, when, when the Crusades started, everybody talks about the Crusades like the Christians just did an evil thing and went and invaded the Middle East. No, they were in the middle of a pincer movement where they were being pushed on both sides, through Spain, well into France, into Eastern Europe, all the way to the gates of Vienna. And it was only then that Christianity came out and struck back. So the, the Crusades were largely a defensive war. Uh, but Israel is clearly on the, on, the, on the right here. If it were up to me, Israel would get not only then not only would they be able to destroy Hamas, but I think that it would be in everybody's best interest for Israel to occupy the West Bank and the Gaza Strip so they could finally, once and for all, have defensible borders. And frankly, the Islamic people in the Palestine that have it the best are the ones living under Israeli rule. The reason it's so bad in the Gaza Strip isn't because the Israelis are, are persecuting people. They're not there. The Israelis haven't been in the Gaza Strip in, in, in decades. No, the reason it's so bad is because the Palestinian authority there, which is Hamas, Hamas was elected, they don't give a rat's ass about their own people. They view it as Israel's responsibility to take care of the people in the Gaza Strip. Their job is to kill Israelis. Their job is to kill Jews. So the idea that there is any kind of moral equivalency here, that Hamas has any ethical legs to stand on, that there is any reason to support Hamas, or that all religions are the same, all of that is absurd. And I don't care how much the media says it. I don't care how much college kids say it. I don't care how much people protest. It's bullshit. The Israelis are in the right, and I hope that they wipe Hamas out once and for all. We cannot have peace as long as we have terrorist organizations that want to force their religions down the throats of other people. As a Christian, I may get evangelical from time to time and try to convince people it's a good thing to be a Christian. I will never raise a hand to hit somebody who's not. I would never use violence to try to force somebody to be something they're not. And that's the difference. And that's my take on that subject. So we're going to take a break now and uh, give our sponsors a couple of minutes to talk to you. And then we're going to come back. I'm going to move away from Israel. And I'm going to talk about all of the things that, you know, we, we of course need to talk about Israel. It's an important subject. What's happening there matters. But there are other things that are happening. And what I'm going to tell you when we come back is that our administration is in many ways using not just Israel, but also the Ukraine to distract us from other things. So, be back in a couple of minutes, and uh, we'll talk about everything else going on in the world. The silent majority has spoken. We say, let the silent voices be heard. You can be the voice of change. Contact our producer at libertyatamericaoutloud.com. Libertyatamericaoutloud.com. 
Millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of the toxic spike protein. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at the Wellness Company designed their spike support formula to counteract harmful spike protein from COVID-19 and vaccines so you can feel your best. Go to OutloudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. The Natural Colon Cleanse. It's the ultimate digestive tune-up with Oxy Powder. It's crafted to alleviate the discomfort of gas, bloating, and occasional constipation. There's a reason why Oxy Powder is our number one seller. It worked. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD. Global healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. How can you improve your odds of staying healthy? The answer is stay healthy with Cofix RX. Who's got time for a cold, strep, a flu, HRV, RSV, or COVID anyhow? Cofix has some great news. Besides being featured as a top five product in the drugstore news, we completed the protocol that you've heard Dr. McCullough talk about. Cofix RX is already famous for a powerful virus-hostile nasal solution, and now we have a throat spray too. Crush those nasty germs before they become a problem. With known antiviral support ingredients like povidone iodine, xylitol, and vitamin D3, you can feel a little safer. For a limited time, when you add the new Cofix RX throat spray to your order, you'll receive 25% off the entire purchase. Just click the Cofix RX banner on the America Out Loud website or store. Be sure to use promo code OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Don't forget, OUTLOUD25 at checkout. We are the pulse and voice of everyday American thought. AmericaOutloud.news, delivering a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. Join us in the fight for liberty and justice for all. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Voice of a Nation. I am Wallace Garneau of the production crew, and uh, we're going to talk now not about Israel. I think I covered that, at least my perspective on it, pretty succinctly. Uh, we're going to talk now about some of the other things that are going on in the world. Uh, one last thing I do want to say on Israel is that the Biden administration is incapable of doing the right thing here. For the same reason, they're incapable of doing the right thing in so many other areas. I've heard people compare Joe Biden with all of his expertise and knowledge and foreign policy experience to Winston Churchill. Well, I could compare Joe Biden to Winston Churchill, but it would not be a favorable comparison. I would compare Joe Biden more to Neville Chamberlain, which is to say that he believes in appeasement. He believes that if you just give in to your enemy, if you negotiate with them, that that you will have peace. And well, Neville Chamberlain found out in 1939, in September of 1939, that that's just not the case. And and Joe Biden should be finding that out today, but he's 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 not finding that out. I don't know if he's capable of finding that out at this point in his life. Uh, I don't want to get into all of the mental stuff. It's not really relevant right now in this conversation. But but clearly, Joe Biden is not learning any lessons at all. 
the difference between Joe Biden and, and Winston Churchill in terms of foreign policy is that Winston Churchill was against Hitler when it was not popular to be so. Winston, <coughs> excuse me. Winston Churchill saw what was happening in Nazi Germany before anybody else did. <coughs> Excuse me. A little bit of a cough. I apologize. And uh, took steps against it or started to speaking against it and, and asking England to, to prepare for war when it was unpopular to do so. Winston Churchill didn't become popular with his views on Nazi Germany until after, or until right before, rather, the invasion in, of, of Poland when it became evident that Winston Churchill was... was you couldn't argue with it anymore. He was just simply right. And that's leadership. See, a leader doesn't come out and do what's popular to try to remain in power. No, a leader does what's right. And if they if that means that they end up being in power, well, that's called leadership. People follow you because you're a good leader, because you have you you have courage and and you have they, they trust you. Uh, that's Winston Churchill. People trusted Winston Churchill because he spoke with conviction, because he was honest, and, and he exuded leadership skills. Joe Biden doesn't have any of that. Joe Biden today is telling the Israeli people, is uh, telling through envoys to, to Israel's leadership, that their support is waning. And why is their support waning? Because Muslim groups in the United States are telling Joe Biden that they won't vote for him unless his support for Israel wanes. So he's going back to Israel and telling the Israeli people and the Israeli government, I'm not going to be able to support you much longer. I don't have the support at home to do it. Now think about that. Instead of doing the right thing, instead of leading the country, he is giving in to public opinion polls, doing the wrong thing, strengthening Hamas, weakening the United States, and doing everything that he can to, to destroy Israel. And he's not doing it because he thinks that's the right thing to do. He's doing it because it's the politically expedient thing to do. Shortly after World War II, Winston Churchill lost the election and was no longer the Prime Minister of England. That's leadership. When you do what is right and, and whatever the consequences are, that's what happens. That's leadership. And Winston Churchill became the Prime Minister again a couple of decades later because he was a leader. Uh, but when all you're doing is following public perception and trying to win elections... When you're a politician rather than a statesman, that's not leadership. So the notion that Joe Biden is anything but a weak man, they have, they have, he's not a leader. He's never going to be a leader. He never was a leader. Joe Biden was a bad politician and, and not a leader even before he, even when he was young and still had a functioning brain, he wasn't. He's he just, the idea that he's, in comparison to Winston Churchill is absurd. It's almost as absurd as the idea that all religions are the same. So that's that's what's going on there. Uh, as far as the Ukraine war, what I want people to understand about the Ukraine war is that there aren't any good people there. Zelensky's not a good guy. The Ukrainian government is one of the most corrupt, possibly the most corrupt government on earth. According to the Ukrainian Ukraine's own government, people are stealing the money that we're giving them left and right and using it for their personal benefit. We also know that... Our own politicians are laundering money through Ukraine. Uh, we saw that with the EFX exchange, that that the, the Democrats were giving money, not just Democrats, but that our Congress was giving money to Ukraine. Ukraine was investing much of that money in the EFX exchange. And then Sam Bankman-Fried, whatever his name was, was then giving that money to campaign to politicians for their campaign, their re-elections, mostly Democrats, but probably not entirely. And, and so they were laundering money through that, 
And though I haven't seen any evidence that people were laundering money for personal purposes as well, I have to believe they probably were. You know, people get rich in Congress for a reason. Interestingly, our new our new uh, House Speaker is not rich. He seems to be living paycheck to paycheck, just like most Americans do. So, you know, he was being attacked in the media because he's not rich. And I, I look at that and I think, you know, what a statement of our times that the media is attacking a politician for not looking corrupt. How crazy. You know, he, he doesn't understand the rules. He's not, he's not, he's not making money. Well, yeah, I, he's apparently trying to be a leader, which is something our country kind of needs. But the thing with Ukraine is we're creating perpetual war. And in the Biden administration in Israel, they're funding the Israelis. They're trying to get money to the Israelis to help them continue the fight. But they also want to give money to Hamas. And let's face facts, he's been giving money to Iran, which is sponsoring Hamas and Hezbollah. So we've got a president that is supporting both sides in the war. And then you look at Ukraine. Well, where was Hunter Biden getting his money? Well, a lot of it from China, but also a lot of it from Ukraine and a lot of it from Russia. So we have a family that is criminally involved on both sides of a perpetual war that is being used to launder taxpayer dollars into campaign contributions for our, for our politicians and probably into the pocketbooks of politicians. The level of corruption here is just absolutely astounding. And what we need to do with Ukraine, that's where we need to find a way to sue for peace. I don't think that Putin still wants to be there. I think that if we offer him an off-ramp and give him the opportunity to end that war in a way that he can say is honorable to his people, uh, I think that's what you got to do is find an off-ramp and try to try to create peace in, in, in Ukraine and then maybe build a functional government that isn't run on corruption. But we're not going to do that because too many people are getting rich off of Ukraine. Absolutely ridiculous. But, you know, these wars are distracting us, as important as they are to talk about, as, as big of news stories as they legitimately are, they're also being used to distract us, because it's an election year. And I read in the free, in, in, uh, on Fox News the other day that Joe Biden's regulations with regards to all the appliances in our homes, furnaces, air conditioners, stoves, natural gas, you know, you get the picture, that that's increased the, house of a, the price of a, the cost of a house. It's increased it by about $9,000. And I looked at that and I said, you know, I guess that's that's newsworthy. $9,000 is, is something. Over the course of a 30-year mortgage, maybe not quite as much, but it's, it's certainly something. But that's not really what's, what's, what's wrong with our housing sector. That's not really where the pain points are. And there are some very, very major pain points. I refinanced my home back when Donald Trump was still president. I got lucky. I got in when the mortgage rates were at the very, very best I think they've ever been. I refinanced my house at a 2.25% interest rate. Well, the mortgage rates right now today, as I speak, uh, are 8.5% APB. I think they're calling it like 7.9% is the actual interest rate. But what you actually get in the loan, 8.5% APB. That means that a house that cost $1,529,000 before Joe Biden took office, that's a $400,000 house. We're talking about a median size home. A house that cost $1,529 a month before Biden now costs $3,999 a month. It's more than twice the price, people. The cost of a house, of, of, of the same house, is more than doubled. The partial that's because the house is now 35% more expensive. The value of homes continues to increase, even as interest rates go up. And the reason I'm using monthly payments and not the price of a home primarily to talk about housing prices is that's what people look at. When you take out a loan, you're paying it over, in most cases, a 30-year period. 
you don't really care what the price of the home is so much as you care what the monthly payment is. That's what people make their buying decision on. And as a consequence, normally when the price of a home goes, when the interest rate on a home goes up, the, the value of the home comes down to compensate so the payment stays somewhat stable. But we're not seeing that. No, we're seeing that a home that cost $400,000 the day Joe Biden took office now cost $520,000 for the same home. And we're seeing that the monthly payment on the home when it cost $400,000 at 2.25% interest was $1,529, which most families found to be affordable. That's, you know, that's an affordable price for a $400,000 home. Now the same home at $520,000 and 8.5% interest cost $3,998 a month. And, you know, that's not affordable. It's more than twice as much. And the reason the prices are not coming down to compensate for the higher interest rates and to keep the payments with, with some semblance of, of affordability is that BlackRock and Vanguard are buying up the homes as quickly as they hit the market. That's what's keeping the housing market up for BlackRock and Vanguard. Now, are they working in concert with the government? I don't know. I would assume they probably there probably are conversations between the White House and those organizations because, uh, well, you know, they're the largest investment firms in the, in the world. Uh, BlackRock controls about $10 trillion in, in global assets, and Vanguard, I don't know if it's as big, but I mean, we're talking about huge, huge, huge companies that control tremendous amounts of wealth. And they're out there buying all the homes. Chinese companies are also buying homes. Uh, the Chinese retail, the Chinese, not retail industry, the Chinese uh, home buying industry, the, the real estate industry is absolutely in, in decimated. And as a consequence, Chinese people who can are investing in our market instead. But that's not really what's holding up the housing values. What's really holding up the housing values that Vanguard and BlackRock are buying all the homes. Uh, and that's because, again, the interest rates, we can't afford to buy the homes. And my guess is the Biden administration is encouraging BlackRock and Vanguard to pick up the slack and keep the housing prices high. Now, that means a lot of things. One is it means that, that home ownership is, is falling by the wayside. It means we are radically changing the nature of being an American and, and making it so that people can no longer afford to own their own homes, which has been a big part of the American dream quite literally forever. Owning a home is a big, big part of the American dream. It's something all Americans, virtually all Americans, aspire to do. And that's going by the wayside. But in addition to making home ownership something that, that is going to become rarer and rarer and rarer, uh, according to the World Economic Forum, by 2030, there'll be no such thing. So it may become rare very, very quickly. But in addition to that, it also means that BlackRock and Vanguard are going to have a virtual monopoly on rent. Now, what's happened to rent? Rent's also gone up about 35%. And uh, imagine if you only had two companies controlling all of the all of the rental properties. What does that could do to rent? Now, you think the rent's expensive now. Give Vanguard and BlackRock a monopoly on it and see what happens. You got to live somewhere. They're going to be able to charge you whatever they want for your home, your apartment, wherever it is that you decide to live. So think about that. That's what's happening in our housing industry, and nobody's talking about it. Moving on from our housing industry, since Joe Biden took office, there have been 19 million illegal aliens that have entered the United States, that have immigrated to the United States. Before Joe Biden took office, there were about 11.4 million illegal aliens. In 2014, that is. There were, were about 11.4 million illegal aliens in the United States, and uh, that was about 3% of the population. When you added 19 million more, and with the rate of illegal 
uh, of illegal immigration we have coming into the country right now, if the illegal immigrants don't account for 10% of our population today, they very soon will. And if these trends continue for another four years, in other words, if Joe Biden gets reelected, that actually be another five years. Uh, if Joe Biden gets reelected, then we're going to blow through 20%. 20% of the U.S. population at that point would be illegal. And people, in major cities across the United States, they are starting to allow illegal immigrants to vote in local elections. And the thing about letting them vote in local elections is that Los Angeles, San Francisco, New York, and other jurisdictions are not printing separate ballots for legal versus illegal voters. No, they are giving the same ballots to everybody, which means that if illegal aliens are voting in local elections, they're also voting in presidential elections, in national elections. They're going to be like members of Congress. And what are we doing for these people? Well, we're giving them welfare. Our city and states are asking for $5 billion from the, from the Biden White House to help support them. We're giving them free housing. We're giving them free food. We're giving them free clothing. We're giving them free cell phones. We're giving them free college. We're giving them free medical care. We're giving them basically everything that a communist country promises to everybody. We're giving to these people for free. Well, what happens when you're giving 20% of your population everything that they need to survive for free. And it's not 20% of the population because you've got all the people that are legal Americans that are on welfare that are living off of the government dole as well. Well, what percentage of the population can working Americans afford to support? That's the question. And where's the money coming from? Well, I can tell you where the money's coming from. The money is coming from the fact that Donald Trump spent $2.3 trillion his last year in office on COVID relief. $2.3 trillion, roughly one-third above what the U.S. budget was minus COVID. All of that was deficit spending. And, of course, it had to be. You can't just ramp up $2.3 trillion in, in tax revenues overnight. So, of course, that was all deficit spending. Well, we're past COVID now, and, and guess what happens to the, what happened to the budget? That one-time expenditure of $2.3 trillion that Joe Biden was going to claim as it expired uh, that he reduced the deficit, well, he does spend it on other things. We're still spending that $2.3 trillion extra dollars a year. We're now spending almost $7 trillion a year. The U.S. government is now spending almost $7 trillion a year, up from about four point five dollars before COVID. In the meantime, revenues this year alone are down 35% over last year. Not just since Joe Biden took office, but just over the last year, tax revenues are down 35%. So we're spending money like it's going out of style and we're bringing in less. Well, what does deficit spending cost? What does it do? It causes inflation. Well, what does inflation cost? Inflation causes interest rates to go up. The only way you can fight inflation is by increasing interest rates. Well, what happens when you increase interest rates? Well, that makes your housing more expensive. And now we're right back to BlackRock, Vanguard, and everything that's going on in our housing, the housing market. So there's, there's a cycle here. This is a, a vicious positive feedback loop. And by positive, I mean it's growing. I don't mean it's a good thing. It's a vicious positive feedback loop that is making housing prohibitively more expensive, driving BlackRock and Vanguard to own ever larger forms of or portions of our, our housing market, which is becoming a rental market rather than a buying market, and all of these other things. Also, food's getting prohibitively expensive. Everything that we buy is more expensive. 
and uh, and and we're not making more money. So inflation is coming directly out of our ability to buy things. It is making the American people poor. And this is all happening right around us. You know, the World Economic Forum promised that you would own nothing and be happy. Well, here we are. We're being where the affordability of everything is is going right down the toilet, and and so yeah, that seems to be going in that direction, and and it should piss us off. We're so distracted by Israel and Ukraine, nobody's talking about this, and then you look at everything happening with the Department of Homeland Security, which was created to combat terrorism against the United States, external terrorist threats against the United States. Now the Department of Homeland Security and the FBI are targeting internal terrorist threats against the United States. What are the internal terrorist threats? Well, you remember this from before from before Israel and Ukraine. We were talking about how the FBI was targeting upset parents whose children were, were being were, were being encouraged to change genders and, and and who were being told that there are more than two genders. Now I opened the segment with ladies and gentlemen. I didn't open it with ladies, gentlemen, and other people, just ladies and gentlemen. And and you know, are being told that's no longer that's no longer appropriate. And and so we're forcing this down children. Parents are getting upset. Parents don't like having having their children's uh, gender identities questioned. They don't like having children perverted by teachers who are getting their their, their sexual kinks out. And, and and so you know they're upset about this as, as they should be. That's what the FBI is investigating. That's what the Department of Homeland Security looks at as a threat against the United States. They look at me as a threat against the United States. I'm a Marine. I served my country honorably. Unlike Hamas, I was an actual soldier who served honorably and professionally. But I'm now the threat. Not just me. If you're listening to this, ladies and gentlemen, you're the threat too. We are now what our government considers a threat to the United States. So the Department of Homeland Security is no longer there to protect the American people against external threats on the country. No, the Department of Homeland Security is there to protect, I'm going to say not to protect the United States, to protect the government of the United States from the people of the United States. Because if we're not on board with all the bullshit we're being fed, we're suddenly the terrorist threats. We're suddenly the bad guys. That's what the Department of Homeland Security is doing. And you might remember the Department of Homeland Security tried to create a disinformation board to combat disinformation, misinformation, and malinformation. Well, that board didn't last very long. It was so much of an uproar, they got rid of the board. But they didn't get rid of the program the Department of Homeland Security is still very much censoring content online, censoring contact in the media, censoring content, period. Everything goes through the Department of Homeland Security today, and they decide whether it's misinformation, malinformation, or disinformation. And these three things have definitions, so I'll give them to you. Misinformation is information that is given out that is incorrect but given out unintentionally. In other words, you say something wrong, but you don't know it's wrong. Disinformation is something inaccurate that is that, that somebody says intentionally. So somebody is intentionally trying to deceive the public by saying something that isn't true. And I think most people would say, okay, I could have I, I can see how organizations might have a problem with misinformation and disinformation and might want to police information that is not true. But then we have malinformation, which the Department of Homeland Security is also combating. What is malinformation? Ladies and gentlemen, malinformation is information that is accurate, but that might persuade the public to believe things that the government doesn't want them to. Malinformation is anything the government does not like. And since we have Democrats in control of the White House right now, we might say anything Democrats don't. We're becoming a one-party state, people. 
The Joe Biden administration is utilizing the Department of Homeland Security and other federal agencies to weaponize our elections, to weaponize our access to information in order to try to turn the United States into a one-party state, and they're getting away with it. They're getting away with it. Nobody's even talking about it. I spent half of this episode talking about Israel because, of course, it is a very, very important topic, a very important subject. But it's not the only important topic. It's not the only important subject. There's more talk in the media about this this so-called scandal with the University of Michigan football team supposedly stealing signs than there is, and I'm a Michigan fan, so believe me, I'm up in arms about that too. But that's a trivial subject compared to what the Department of Homeland Security is doing, compared to what the CIA is doing, compared to what the NSC is doing, spying on all of our electronic communications. I mean, literally everything. They are up in everything. There is nothing you can do that the Department of Homeland Security, the CIA, the NSC, the FBI, and every other alphabet organization is not deeply involved in, and they're calling us the threats. I'm just a law-abiding American. I just want to live my life as I see fit, and I want everybody else to do the same. I don't care if you don't live your life as I see fit. It's your life. All I want is the right to live my life as I see fit, to raise my children how I think is appropriate. I think the families, the backbone, the nuclear families, the backbone of this country, the backbone of our society, the backbone of civilization. It's not my fault the Joe Biden administration disagrees with that. But it's our fault collectively if we allow the Democrat Party, if we allow Joe Biden, if we allow the people. It's it's our fault if we allow them to change our culture. Now, culture is not something government should even be involved in. Culture is something that evolves from the bottom up. Language is supposed to evolve from the bottom up. The use of language as done by the people, the culture that breeds amongst the people that is supposed to filter its way up. That's not what's happening. No, we have small minorities of people utilizing government to dictate down what language is, to dictate down what the culture is going to be, and calling us evil if we don't go along. We don't have a dictatorship of the majority. We have a dictatorship of minorities. And this is a minority that can't even get out of its own way anymore. These are the people, some of them are the people supporting Hamas. We're watching the Democrat Party almost come unglued trying to decide what side of the, of, of the Israeli-Hamas conflict they're on. That should be absurd. Everybody should be on Israel's side on this. Israel's not putting babies in ovens and turning it on. This should be the easiest war to decide who the good guys are since World War II. And yet our colleges, it blows my mind, people, how many people think Hamas are the good guys, or at least think that Israel are the bad guys by enough of a margin that what Hamas is doing is acceptable. But that's where we are. That's where we are. The the liberal left cannot decide whether they're supporting Israel, Hamas, or in the case of Joe Biden, both. In order to win elections, that's what they're trying to do, is walk a middle line, giving money out to Israel to fight, giving money out to Ukraine to fight, making sure we don't do well enough, supporting who we call the good guys, and the bad guys lose the fight. It's perpetual warfare. Perpetual warfare being done to distract us from all of the things that the Biden administration is doing that is destroying our country, the very fabric of our society, our culture, our language, our ability to communicate with each other. It's all being destroyed right around our feet. Look at crime in our our, our inner cities, not just in our inner cities. The crime's starting to spread out in the suburbs as well. You're having businesses that are closing, Target stores that are closing, Target, Walmart, stores are closing. 
in our cities because our cities are making it legal to steal up to $1,000 worth of merchandise and gangs are just coming in and cleaning the shelves off. As long as each individual doesn't take more than $1,000 worth of stuff, nobody gets in any trouble. And even if they take more than $1,000, it's not like somebody is at the door counting to find out. So no, they've just essentially legalized theft. And, and, and you, you have people, you know, this, this anti-police movement, you have people saying that if you're against the theft, then you're putting your property ahead of people's lives. So you're the bad guy now because you think that if you bought something, you should be allowed to own it. People, this is absurd. We are living through absurdity. The whole concept that men can have babies, that women have penises, the whole concept that gender is fluid. Now, gender isn't fluid. Every species on earth is male or female. Now, some males may want to have sex with other males. That's their business. It's a free society. If a dude wants to wear a dress, I'm not going to tell him he can't. I might look at him strange. But if a dude wants to wear a dress, the dude can wear a dress. It's a free country. I support your right to live as you see fit. I support the right of homosexuals to be homosexuals. As a Christian, I might have questions about the feasibility of it. I might wonder whether or not it's a sin. That's my right. I don't have to believe in every lifestyle. But I, I'm not, I'm not going to tell anybody they have to live how I see fit because it's a free country. And that's what we're losing. We're losing the concept of this being a free country. Ironically, we're being told that freedom is oppressive and that the only way to avoid oppression is through oppression. Uh, what, our, what, our, what our society is telling us, what the leadership, the, the powers that be, if you will, are telling us is that we have to take an intellectual and moral elite out of society and give them absolute, utter authority over every aspect of the human condition and allow them to lift the people at the bottom up while compressing the people at the top down until everybody is at the same level. And, and through this oppression, they can make us all equal. This is equity. Kamala Harris loves the word equity. She loves it almost as much as she loves Zen diagrams or Venn diagrams or whatever they're called. And, and so once everybody is compressed like this, once everybody is oppressed like this, then they tell us that we'll all be equal and society will be a much better place, except that the oppression can never end. Because if you allow us to compete against one another, if you allow us to have freedom, some people will do better than others again. And that just brings back the need for oppression. So... We're turning the entire society, the entire civilization of the United States on its head and in undoing all of the progress that we have made since the beginning of, of, not just since the beginning of our country, we're going back to all the progress that has been made since the writing of the Magna Carta. Freedom itself is what's at danger here. The sovereignty of the individual over their own life that is what is, is at danger of, of being taken away from us. And it's being taken away from us this next election. The last election was very important. Every election now is very, very important. You, you can't say this is the most important election you'll ever have, because even if it's the most important election we have had thus far, the next election is only a couple of years, next presidential election another four years away. So, no, every election counts. We have to be vigilant. Every, but, but people, our country is being destroyed right in front of us. And it is up to us to be proud, to be loud, to get involved. People, America Out Loud, this is your resource to find out what's going on. This is your resource to make a difference. So please, get loud, get involved, and, and let's get this train back on the tracks. Ladies and gentlemen, that's our show. Thank you very much. We'll talk to you again. Bye.